Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live in Boise, Idaho. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. This episode is from a new show, Story Story Porch Night. We set up a porch in downtown Boise to hear stories from a new perspective. The evening is inspired by a collaboration with photographer Michelle Bliss, showcasing a pair of compare-contrast photographs featuring local families on their front step. Bliss took the first photo at the start of the pandemic, and the second image about one year later. In this episode, we hear from photographer Michelle Bliss, Aaron Della, Joja Sousa, Michelle Stoddard, and Roxanne Lawson. It's story time from our porch. Please welcome to our stage Michelle Bliss. Hi, Michelle. Hi. <laughs> uh, happy Global Porch Placemaking Week. Woo! <laughs> we did it. We brought something we did together. It. We're, we were, in, <laughs> were inaugurating a global event. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how this project began for you and how you started activating porches in the Treasure Valley through yeah, these portraits. Absolutely. So let's all rewind, like, what, 20 months or so when we first came into lockdown, and that's when the idea first came to mind. Um, It stemmed out of curiosity, because we have a trail right behind our house, and a lot of people started trafficking the trail, and I wanted to know more about those people. And so, as a photographer, and noticing what was going on in my own community um, worldwide, this idea of porch portraits was coming up a lot and so I decided that there could be something here and I posted up some posters in our neighborhood and I said I'll photograph on these days and text me and I'll come to your house and so I had 30 people within the first weekend and then photographed a total of 90 families or individuals last year and then this year we've had 48 participate so The porch was a way, it was an entry point, because we only could go so far last year, or we were encouraged to only go so far. And um, me being on the outside and welcoming people out of their homes and to the comfort of their front porch, their front step, or whatever they had, um, is where we began. And some people actually were willing to welcome me to their back porch, because that's where they spent their time. And because some homes these days only have a stoop. So um, that's where it began, and that's where um, the relationships started. And I can definitely say that because of this project, my community grew, and I was able to get to know so many more. And graciously, a lot of the people behind me, I would not have known otherwise. So I have to say um, I have a lot of gratitude for being welcomed into the spaces and to the vulnerable place that people were willing to share with me. So, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. So I, I found it kind of interesting uh, that how photography connects with your other practice of yoga, like yeah. you say, uh, like placing our bodies and and context. How does that overlap? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, for those of you that are in my yoga sphere hear me talk about this a lot, (laughs) actually. Um, But really in terms, the the nice thing that um, 
was born out of this project that I realized um, in my work is that I have this really strong interplay in my work between structure and chaos. And the porch was this place that created the structure. It created this place that someone could sit, that someone could feel comfortable. And then the story and the experience of maybe what was going on internally or in the community or in our world globally, that was the chaos. Um, So there was this resting point of being in the body and being able to be present. And I was coming to their space too, which was um, something I wasn't asking people to kind of get in, you know, let's just go frolic in a field somewhere. Like it's like, you know, here, here we are. And um, yeah. Well, some of your story uh, photos look quite restful. Yeah. People with a, you know, very kind of sometimes a somber face or a relaxed face and others of your photos look like frenetic energy all over the frame. Uh, was that something that just happened naturally and you just like, I'm going to catch them while they're all running around? Or yeah. Did you, yeah. Yeah. There were, um, there were some families that I, I mean, I encouraged them to be and do what they were doing during this time when they were at their home. Um, and some of the more kind of stoic or solemn looks, I would say, were maybe, um, they were directed slightly, but to get there were, was effortless. And I think that that was um, because of the time, yeah. too, that we were in. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you for reaching out to Story Story Actually, to share this project with us. Yeah. Well, I have to give a plug for Jody because I reached out to him. And, he would, and from there... Um, He's like, well, we've kind of been thinking about something. And so we were able to collaborate in such a wonderful way. And so I have to just express my gratitude for your support, too. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Michelle Bliss. The first porch we're going to visit belongs to Aaron Della. Well... Before I start, I did want to thank Michelle and Jody for bringing us all together, and I felt so lucky to meet you. Okay, this is not a good start. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> My name is Erin Della. I'm a high school math teacher and girls basketball coach here in Boise. I'm also a true millennial. I have a dog, I live with my mom, and I love avocados. <laughs> When I think back on my last two years trudging through this ongoing pandemic, I do think of it through a few key images. I'd like to take you on a journey through my memory photo album, including images that lead to a newfound focus on what is important and what can be accomplished even through the toughest adversity. Here's my story. When our school let out for our week-long spring break in March of 2020, we did not come back. At that point, there were one or two cases of COVID in the whole state of Idaho. We were asked to teach our students online without any training and with few guidelines. We were, in one word, unprepared. Luckily for me, I was pretty tech savvy, so I was selfishly kind of okay with the idea of staying home, being cozy in my PJs and teaching from bed. I worked with the other geometry teachers in the district to create just one math lesson per week to continue to teach just the crucial information for the rest of our class. But the school district had other plans. 
Because of many t reasons, unprepared teachers, unequitable access to technology and internet, and the stress being caused by the utter newness of all of this, the district came out with a statement saying that students' grades could not be negatively affected during this shutdown. So if a kid chose not to participate in those lessons that I had created, their grades would not be affected and they would essentially stay the same. None of my kids participated. School usually goes until the end of May. We essentially started summer vacation in March. Meanwhile, in the little free time I had away from school or coaching, things were actually going quite well. I mean, my mom and I were certainly scared about the virus, about simple tasks like going grocery shopping and keeping my 80-year-old Nana safe. But I had also just met someone. I know, I know, not the best timing. But this is how that all started. I first met Will in January of 2020, where all true millennials meet potential mates. Good old Tinder. I was about a year into being single and I was hitting my groove, meeting new people and being open to new experiences. I remember going through my swipes one night. I paid the extra like $5 or so so I could see who liked me before liking them back. Anyway, this guy had super liked me. So I of course went and checked out his profile. There, there were literally just three pictures and the only thing written in his about me section was, you're the only treasure in this valley I see. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but I swiped right and here we are. Um, so yeah, we ended up talking and we eventually met for drinks at Juniper downtown in mid-February. Over Moscow mules and french fries, I got to know this kind, educated, witty and pretty dang cute basketball player. He eventually made me feel Oh, he essentially, he instantly made me feel really comfortable and really beautiful. He made me laugh so much. And I remember coming home from that, first, from that first date and telling my mom how for the first time in a long time, I was so nervously excited and hopeful that he'd call me back. He did, and we got together a few more times throughout the rest of February. Between you and me, I had to play it really cool during these fierce first few months of us hanging out. I have to say hanging out because we had not yet defined the relationship. We were just seeing each other, you see. But then of course the pandemic had other plans for us. Once school shut down, we had to decide, are we gonna be in each other's quarantine circles or not? I mean, this was gonna be a really easy way out for either one of us if we wanted it. But we decided to keep it going and we were officially exclusive. We spent the spring hanging out a lot. Every weekend we did all the good quarantine things. We watched Tiger King, Michael Jordan's The Last Dance, a documentary, and so many movies. We also cooked a lot. I made my dad's enchiladas and chicken parmesan, and me, he made me his mom's peach cobbler. Through couch cushion forts and Marvel movie marathons, we made the best of our new quarantined lifestyle. We were having a lot of fun, and we were falling in love all while trying not too hard to, th to think about how scary the world was getting. We were relatively safe, but we were also super careful and mainly stayed home because we knew how aggressively COVID was spreading and how dangerous it had become. 
In May of 2020, Will's uncle tested positive, and within a matter of days, he passed away alone in an Arkansas ICU. That same month, George Floyd was murdered by police in Minneapolis. That summer changed my life, not just through the birth of a new, healthy, and exciting relationship, but also through the changes that our country went through. As a white woman in a biracial relationship, I was able to see the summer of 2020 through a lens that I had never before experienced. I really do hope that when the history books write about that summer, the newly found focus on the ongoing BLM movement does not get overshadowed by COVID. Because it was, it still is, very real and very telling. Will and I spent days talking about how scared he was to be a black man in America, and all I could do was listen. I never knew what to say or how to fix anything, but I listened to him and I heard him. For the first time in my life, I was afraid, I was ashamed of some of my fellow Idahoans. Not everyone, of course, but something about that summer sure seemed to bring the hate out in some people. There was a vigil at the Capitol one night in June and both Will and I really wanted to go, but he said we should stay home because he was trying to keep me safe from the virus and all the people and all. I said we should stay home because I wanted to protect him from the hate that seemed like it was coming from every direction. We both felt so defeated, like there was nothing we could do. I will say that when I saw the photos of over thousands of peaceful Idahoans who gathered near the Capitol that night, it did remind me that there is good in this community. All of those people and more agreed that what has been happening in this country for so many years is wrong and something that our cameras should be focusing on. As the summer started to end, the anxiety and uncertainty of school started to creep its way back into my everyday thoughts. I have yet to mention that I'm also in the immunocompromised community, so throughout the entire shutdown, I had to be extra cautious. Because of this, I was so unbelievably scared to go back into a windowless classroom of 30 plus students for five class periods a day. So scared, I looked into options to quit my job, to take a leave of absence or to use up all my bank sub days to avoid the whole situation for as long as possible. The school district eventually made the decision to hold classes online while Boise was in the red zone, measured by the amount of community spread and available hospital beds. While this was surely not ideal, I did feel that it was the safest option for my fellow teachers, our students, and their families. Before starting, the school issued Chromebook computers and internet hotspots to students and teachers were told they must work from school by themselves in their empty classrooms where they were to hold Google Meets to video chat with their students online. Most of my students logged in from bed. Several fell asleep while they were supposed to be in class. While this was so frustrating, I never blamed them. The majority of my high school age students were home alone, learning in probably the most boring, antisocial way possible. I can't even begin to imagine the home struggles some of these families were thrown into without that constant of in-person, five days a week school. This was so hard for them. This was so hard for all of us. I first became and now remain a teacher, not for the fame and fortune, I know, shocking, but because I genuinely enjoy working with high school-aged kids. I love getting to know them, and as nerdy as this sounds, I love helping them understand that math is not that intimidating, and it's actually pretty doable. 
When we'd meet online, I never forced them to turn their cameras on. I felt that this was an invasion of their private home lives, something that they would usually never, that I would usually never see unless they wanted to share it. So many of them logged into our meetings with both their microphones and their camera shut off. I felt like Dora the Explorer, overly acting and excitingly asking questions to a voiceless audience. Every time I logged off a meet, I would literally deflate as the depression of the loneliest school year ever would overwhelm me. This continued until October when the school district, with pressure from community members to open the schools, despite Boise very much still being in the red zone, switched to hybrid learning. This basically involved having half of the students attend in person one day and that while the other attended online. So I would have to teach the kids right in front of me, plus the kids on the computer at the same time. Needless to say, I was nervous to have real live, possibly infectious kids back in my classroom. Okay, nervous was an understatement. I was terrified. Will helped me through a few breakdowns, including one very emotional night the day before our first hybrid. When we all showed up to school the next day, I could tell that the students were scared as well. This was the first time they'd entered into the school building in six months, and for my sophomores, this was the first time they entered into their new high school altogether. Another memory photo comes back into mind. 13 or so little masked strangers sitting in their desks, six feet away from anyone else, too weirded out in this new sterile environment to get to know or talk to any of the other kids in the classroom. Eventually, even while having to run back and forth between my kids in person and the kids on the computer, I was able to finally get to know some of them while they were right in front of me in my room. I'm not sure if you can tell, but I'm a pretty sarcastic and goofy person. And because I'm all about being my authentic self with my students, I act this way in my classroom too. All of the online school was so tough for me because all of my jokes and that reach for personal connection would fall flat. Finally, I had a live audience. I could see their little eyes turn to squints as they laughed at their weirdo teacher and those barriers started to come down. COVID kept getting worse though, so we eventually had to go back full online. All in all, we essentially had five first days of school. We started fully online in August, hybrid in October, online again after Thanksgiving break in November, hybrid again after we got back from winter break in January, and then finally, a full calendar year after the first ever shutdown, we reopened for full in-person school with all of the students all at once, five days a week, in March of 2021, this year. Meanwhile, vaccines were finally bringing hope. Teachers started getting vaccinated in February, and I was really starting to think that this was coming to an end. We had a summer of somewhat normalness. Will, Will and I were able to travel to his hometown of San Diego, and I got to meet his family and his high school friends. We even were able to bring his parents to Boise, where they met my mom and my nana, and we took them to McCall for a few days. Looking back on these last few years, I continue to try to focus on two images. The first is from this school year, August 2021, at the beginning of, again, this school year. One of my AP students came into my classroom, even though I'm no longer his teacher. Even with his mask on, I could see how happy and proud he was to earn top marks in the project he completed last year. He told me about his summer job working as a camp counselor, and 
he told me that even though last year was so hard and our class was so difficult, he was really gonna miss it. He was gonna miss his classmates and he was gonna miss me and his other instructor. My second image is one of my favorite moments from this summer. One of Will, this city kid from California, wake surfing behind my boat in McCall with his parents cheering him on. Because of the COVID vaccines, Will and I were able to share my favorite place with them and they fell in love with it just like I knew they would. While the shutter of the camera capturing the COVID-19 pandemic has not yet fully closed, I can say that some of the image that's some of the images that have fully developed are those depicting tragedy, loss, and division, but also showing resilience, community, and thank God for this one, hope. Thank you. Jojo Sousa? All right, Jojo. Uh, hi everyone, uh, my name is Jojo, I'm from the Republic of Congo, uh, I'm a senior at the College of Idaho, this is my fourth year in the US actually, and yeah, I'm here to tell you about how during these past two years COVID has have affected me. Uh, you probably saw my pictures on the billboard, uh, if you did, um, you did not. Um, those two pictures represent two different things in my life. The first one, which was taken in 2020, represents a dark side of my life in the US. And the other one, which was taken this year, represents a brighter side. Um, around March, when the state went on lockdown, my school decided to go to online classes. And that was really um, a dark side of my life because I'm a person who likes to socialize and the fact that we went to online meant that I have to get away from my roommate and go to a single room where I was quarantined, like the entire school was under quarantine. So we were only leaving our room when it's time to go to the cafe and grab the food. And once you grab the food, you go back to your room again. That basically, that was the cycle, the cycle for like our next three months. Um, so all I was doing every day was waking up at 7 a.m., opening my laptop for online classes, and closing my laptop at midnight because I had to do assignments after, right after my classes. And I never turned on my camera during online classes because when I, during the class, I'm either on my bed or doing another, another assignment for another class. So I was basically, it, I wasn't learning. I was just trying to get my assignment done. That's it because I had no motivation. Uh, the, the change from in-person to online was really drastic. I didn't have time to manage and process it, in my, process it in my head. Yeah, and I lost motivation in doing everything. And not having my friend around or not, and not talking to my family was also a big thing for me because I haven't been home uh, for the past five years now. So I just felt really alone in my room and I didn't want to do anything. But uh, later on, when we moved during summer, uh, the school decided to, de to do some activities for the students who are not uh, um, able to go home because of COVID and in other financial issues. So um, during that moment, I started getting my life back together 
but it wasn't as before, but I was doing my best to uh, go, go outside and meet with my friend like six feet apart, you know. We couldn't, we couldn't be in the same room together for too long. The school only allowed us 15 minutes with each other six feet apart. After that, you have to go back to your own area where you are alone and everything like that. Um, what else? That, um, during that time, because I'm also a part-time model, so I go do some shooting and traveling sometimes, I was not able to do any of, any of that. So I felt like all my career and my, the thing that I like and everything else was just going to waste. I was wasting my time. The, year is, the, time, is, the time is clocking, but I'm just there in my room. So nothing, nothing was kind of worth living for me because I was just, nothing was happening. And then after summer ended, um, Mich uh, Michelle, the one who took the picture, she came back on, she sent me a sh uh, an email. She said, oh, Jojo, I want to take another picture of you. And I was like, yeah, I'm down. Let's take another picture. Um, during that time, I was getting my life back together because I moved from junior year to my senior year. So I had to know what I need to do in life because I'm graduating at the end of next year. <laughs> I was like, I need to get my life together. And I was, and I got used to online classes. So my brain was stable now and I, w I knew what I was doing. I knew what I wasn't supposed to do. And yeah, Michelle came on campus and she took pictures of me. And that's where, when the brighter side of my life began, <laughs> Uh, basically, after 2020, to, from 2020 to 2021, I can say that I found motivation in doing and exploring new things. Like, I always told myself that I'm never going to go on a road trip or camping. But when I started this academic year, I was like, I want to go on a road trip and camping. I, I, want, I don't want to miss any opportunities. I want to go for everything. So I asked my friend, oh, are you down to go to Sun Valley this weekend? They were like, oh, yeah, let's drive around. I'm like, I'm kind of scared because I don't like it. I never done it, but it just, I don't feel like I want to do it. But this time I want to do it. Let's go on a road trip. So we went on a road trip to Sun Valley. Uh, we did camp outside. I was kind of scared because <laughs> it's outside, you know. And I've been in my room the whole time for a whole year. I'm like, I don't want to be in the mountain and camping. But we did it. it was, we slept there for two nights. I really enjoyed it. I'm like, yeah, I want to do more things that I thought that I would never do before. I guess just like the fact that I was isolated the entire year last year just changed my mind and my perspective of different things. And now I'm open to like a lot of opportunities. And I, will, I started to go out more too because I, I don't want to stay on campus too much. I guess I've stayed there for enough now, all the time. So I'm, I'm always trying to find a way to get out of campus, do something new with my friend. We even went, um, uh, we came here in Boise and did some roller skating, and I didn't like it at first, but now I like it. So, and also, uh, I learned how to cook like homemade food so I can connect back to my country. Like we, some African food like, um, we made chapati, pondu, uh, the pilau, and they're really good. They're really awesome food. If I could bring for all of you, I would have done. 
But yeah, I can say that now I'm a good cook. Like the entire the, the entire school is like, yeah, you don't know how to cook. You should go to A. I'm like, you know, I can cook for you if you buy the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's basically my story for the past two years. How my f the first year was really dark. Now it's really bright. Yeah, that's it for me. Please welcome Stephanie Stoddard. I'm Stephanie Stoddard. Um, I don't know if everyone got a chance to look at the pictures, but I'll just kind of recap what our pictures were with my family, my husband and our son, um, who we adopted right before COVID happened. Um, our first picture is black and white. We're in 50s dress. Uh, we live in a little 50s clinker brick house in southeast Boise. My husband's military, and for the past seven years out of the six last summers, he's been deployed, and we are looking at another deployment coming um, with our son being nine months old. Um, I really enjoyed COVID in the beginning. That sounds awful, but it's true, because for me and my family, it felt like time got to slow down and he was delayed um, because of all the restrictions for COVID and travel. So it, it kind of was like this beautiful little window of time where we just got to sit and be and have this like peaceful moment versus worrying about this impending deployment. We got to be at home and laugh and play in the yard and watch other families be with their families and ride their bikes and it was very picturesque and it was beautiful in a lot of ways you could see the kids smiling being on the parents like bicycling in the neighborhood and I saw people flying kites in the park nobody flies kites anymore it was awesome so I was really stoked about that little window of time and not having to worry about you know doing the mom thing with a nine-month-old baby and missing my husband all summer long so it was really cool for a little minute. Um, and then obviously the inevitable comes and COVID changes that. You know, everyone has to kind of sink into who they're going to spend their time with, how they're going to decide who's priority in their lives. And that was kind of hard for me. Um, my mom's terminally ill. I'm immunocompromised and our son had breathing issues. And even though I really understood, and I do understand and respect, you know, the family unit and why that's so important and who's important and how you spend your time because of all the things I've been through with my mom, five brain surgeries, five years, you really recognize um, where you wanna spend your time and who matters. And I wanted to respect and, and understand that for other people, but it very much felt uh, probably about month, month and a half. It felt very shrinking. You want to be respectful of that, but then you're kind of on an island in some ways by yourself. Um, sorry if I get a little emotional, because it is. Um, my mom would take my son on Thursday morning so I could have a break uh, and get to the grocery store or mow the lawn do the mom chores, clean the house, and not tend to the little one. And as soon as it really got really stringent for lockdown, all that had to stop. And that was really hard on her. Um, 
She has a DNR. Uh, her condition is pretty, uh, she has brain surgery uh, five times and she has a DNR and so it was like if she got it, that's the end. It's truly the end. There's no, there's no coming back from that. And so we really had to respect that space, respect that uh, boundary. And that, that was hard because the one thing that she has and that we understand as a family is how and who and what we do really matters. And sometimes it's only an hour or two of the day that she feels good. And so she would really look forward to those visits with my son and us and all of that had to stop and my husband's gone and you know there's Skype but that's assuming there's internet connection and that you're not frozen talking to your loved one for five minutes of the maybe 15 minutes you might get to talk in two or three days. Um, I was working so I'd still log in at 5 a.m. and I'd work for three hours and then I'd work during nap times and that became not sustainable over time. My son went through teething regression and I wasn't sleeping at night and he was waking up at five and logging in for work is not a thing that could really happen and sustain doing all the house chores and getting all that stuff done. And so I finally called my boss and I was like, hey, I think it's time. I need to train my replacement because I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, so I did, I trained my replacement remotely, which was weird, um, but it got done and I stopped working. Uh, I, spilled, I filled a lot of my time with, you know, being the best mom I could be, dealing with teething, very little sleep, lots of chores. But I just got to a point where my exhaustion was, I needed help and, you know, you respect everybody's family unit, but I really needed help. So I ended up hiring a young gal that was a close family friend who was actually abroad and almost got stuck in London and had made it out like the day before she would have been stuck there for almost a year. Um, and she's like, I need a job. And I was like, I need help. So that was awesome. Um, and she came and helped me a couple of times a week so I could get a little reprieve, which was awesome. Um, as time kind of shifted and things like, you know, the end of the summer was coming closer and closer and I could look forward to my husband coming home again and kind of having a balance back. Um, you get your hopes up and get your hopes up. And I always say, I'm not gonna get my hopes up because, you know, military delays, everything was so unpredictable with COVID anyway. So the day came that it was like, okay, he's gonna come home. and. Everybody in the unit came home except for four guys. And out of 289 men, mine was one of them. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I might be home. I might be home in two weeks. I might be home in three weeks. I might be home in four weeks. And you're like, cool, I am ready for you to be home. That, yeah, now, now would be awesome. Um, he missed our son's first birthday because of deployment. He missed our son's second birthday. Um, I postponed it because I really wanted him to be there. Um, but you do what you have to do to create the memories that you want to have because life doesn't always give you what you want. Um, so we took lots of photos and we took lots of, you know, uh, videos and I sent them to him overseas so he could have the first birthday, you know, and 
uh, second birthday we postponed, like I said, and so we actually got to be here. It was just a little late, but it was awesome. We had a blast. Um, and every party we have now, my son thinks it's his birthday party. He's convinced every party is his birthday, uh, which is hilarious, but also really hard to explain to a two-year-old it's not his birthday. Mom is having a wine party. <laughs> They're like, no, you got to go to bed. Mom is drinking wine now. Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, the one thing that for me, I are, you know, I'm already kind of wired that way with everything that our family's been through is knowing how precious family and time is. And I think the biggest thing that was probably the most difficult in our family and the dynamic was the only thing my mom wanted for Valentine's Day was to see her grandson. And my parents had to have a bit of a fight about it, I'm not gonna lie, and they did. Um, but in the end, my dad conceded that, you know, she could come over and we'd sit in the yard and she could see her grandson on Valentine's Day. And it was awesome. It was brilliant. Um, but just like anything else, it's, it's what we create. It's who we want. It's recognizing that how we spend our time really does matter and uh, who we spend our time with. And I'm grateful that for the most part, not everybody has to know that. Now we all have, like, that big concept um, because unfortunately COVID created that. But in a lot of ways, there's something beautiful about knowing that because time is precious and who we have and who we choose to surround ourselves by really does matter. So that's my story. Please welcome Roxanne Wasson. Well, um, I am Roxanne, and I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum from the three young people who have told their stories so far. Um, I, just one second. It's a, it's a visual aid. So this is one of the masks that was on display when Michelle, for, first took my first porch project picture. Um, there's more story related to the mask, but it's embedded in the rest of the story. More to come. Um, I worked in the Saint, in St. Luke's newborn intensive care for almost 37 years. And I retired in January of 2019. And I had, right, I had big plans. I had, I had um, set my, I had set my work things aside after my last shift and some of those things that I set aside were my very cool and unique scrub shirts that I'd sewn for myself. I wanted to have something really unique and different that no one else would have. And so I made my scrub shirts out of Dr. Seuss fabric, um, green eggs and ham, cat in the hat, some peanuts, peanuts comic strips, and some 
brightly colored animal prints. And honestly, my patients, the babies, really didn't make many comments, but their parents enjoyed them. <laughs> and so that was something I set aside. And the day after my last shift, my daughter and I rode up to Haley and adopted a dog that had been waiting for me for several months. I'm positive of that. So I had plans to really get into retirement. <clears throat> I'm a little cold. That's why my voice is shaken. Um, and as plans often go, they fell through practically immediately. Um, my mother, who had Alzheimer's dementia, start. Oh, bless you. <laughs> she, my mom started having really advanced, really rapid advancement of her symptoms, and she became so confused that she could not be left alone at all. So my new dog and I started in February to drive over to Oregon, 435 miles each way, to spend a week with my mom and my family. And, and um, kind of do my part. And that went on all summer long. By September, we were able to place my mom in a memory care unit. And you think that's a bad thing, but she was very social. And having a lot of different activities and a lot of different people, it was really good for her. And she was happy and safe. And on my last visit there that year, 2019, she, um, she, she was happy. She took me around and she told everybody that I was her daughter, but I don't think she could remember my name. I filed her nails and massaged lotion into her hands. And by the time it was ready, by the time I could have visited her again, the snow had started to fly and I decided that we'd stay home until the roads were clear again. So, that was, that was when COVID started, was that, that winter 2020. And my, my partner, Jim, my partner of 20 years, he had been in the hospital at the beginning, January of 2020 and had heart failure and a viral pneumonia. So February rolled around, he was home with oxygen and physical therapy and doing okay. But when March rolled around and we were ordered to shelter in place, he was totally happy to turn over the grocery shopping and the banking and the bill paying and a lot of the cooking under supervision, of course. We spent a lot of time together and he didn't have a lot of stamina, but that's when I got the idea of using my scrub clothes, those brightly colored fabrics, to make masks for my friends and family and for my coworkers. And so that's why my first porch project picture has a bunch of masks hanging on a cord stretched out across my front porch. So after I got those masks done, it was March, and in May of 2020, my mother 
sheltering in place at her memory care that was not allowing any visitors became unresponsive. And I knew that we wouldn't, because of the interstate quarantine, if we drove to Oregon, we'd have to wait for two weeks before we were able to, to go to visit her in the nursing home. So they were allowing my three brothers and their wives to go and sit with her during that time. And my brothers would hold their phones to my mom's ear so that we could talk to her. And so in, in her own time, she just slipped away. Now my brothers and I have always been really close, but that, that loving act really deepened our closeness. And then we found that obviously we weren't gonna have a funeral and we, um, we consoled each other and grieved over the phone and by text message. And that was difficult and hard, but it was, it was okay in the long run. Summer rolled along and Jim still not having much stamina and still needing oxygen. We A couple of times we went to Donnelly and the altitude made it really hard for him to breathe and be comfortable up there, so we didn't stay very long. But a couple of times his family came and met us up there and we worked on projects while he sat in his chair and supervised, making sure everything was done properly. And we had, we had good times. It was just so nice to get out of town. And then um, during the fall, we celebrated our Thanksgiving and our Christmas, like everyone else was doing with um, drive-bys and gift exchanges out of the trunk of the car and wearing masks and being, being socially distant. And on uh, New Year's Eve 2020, we celebrated Jim's 90th birthday. And that, that was, that was a loud and noisy celebration. We had banners, we had posters, streamers, hats, noisemakers, and best of all, his youngest great-grandchild was hanging out of the top of the truck, the sunroof, with a, oh, a loudspeaker thing, singing happy birthday up and down the street. I'm sure the neighbors aren't going to forget that for a while, and neither are any of us. But it was, it was a great celebration. And then within a few days of that, Jim was back in the hospital. When he came home after five days, he was on more oxygen and less stamina, having, um, having weekly home nursing care. But he was, he was still happy. We still had good dinners and we still had things to laugh about and camping and fishing trips to remember and having, having good company. 
And then the end of February, he was back in the hospital again. And after being there for two weeks, not being able to come down on his oxygen levels at all, and his heart failure so bad that he really couldn't do more than stand up on the side of the bed and move to the bedside chair, he decided he wanted to go home on hospice. By that, <clears throat> by that time, the family had all been vaccinated at least once, and we were really glad that we could gather together. Jim was the admiral of his fleet till the very last minute. But we could be together and that was, that was better than when my mom passed away. So after losing my mom and my good man during these COVID times, I realized that how we love our love and take care of our families and how we grieve for them is really different than it has been in the past and it's really hard but still we are supporting and loving each other jim left me his his pickup and his camper that we had enjoyed camping and fishing in all over oregon and nevada and montana and idaho and i plan to use those use the truck and the camper to um to make new memories. And so it's kind of like my scrub shirts. In that first picture, black and white, you can't really appreciate them. Now I'm gonna be making my own memories in full color, like, like the masks that I have. And um, going, going ahead, I feel, like grief has moved through me and I'm, I'm a different person. I'm more confident, I'm more compassionate, I'm more outgoing, and I'm more willing and able to take each day as it comes. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you for listening. Story Story Porch Night was supported by Project Neighborly Idaho, an initiative by the Idaho Community Foundation to foster inclusion and inspire neighborliness in Ada and Canyon Counties. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our musical guests were Fiddle Express. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Have a story? Call the storyline at 208-917-1970 and leave a message. Please subscribe to Story Story Night on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. Thanks for being a part of our story. I'm Jody Eichelberger.